0: Let's look at snapshots of Jesus from the Gospel of Matthew. I'm looking out in the crowd and I'm seeing a lot of boxing fans. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's secretly what goes on at ladies' night. They watch, uh, get on ESPN or watch some pay-per-view boxing. No, no. No, all right, well, Lorraine, I may have it wrong. But you know how this boxing stuff happens, right? You've at least seen a little bit of it. This is what we've kind of got today. Matthew chapter 15 is, in my mind, a bit of a boxing match. And so we begin In the red corner. Hmm. I was supposed to get some sound out of this. Let's try that again. In the red corner. We've got. The religious dudes. In the blue corner. We've got. Some pagan lady. And these two. In the. Big writings of Matthew. Kind of it out of sorts. So that's what we're going to look at today. It goes like this. It goes like this. Is my sound on? It goes like this. round one (laughs) the Pharisees okay this is just pathetic hold on I mean I worked on this little puppy just a little too much for that to happen like that so we're going back here we're going to make a change here we're going to go to animation we're going to say start with previous we're going back here we're going there let's try it again are you ready? so In the red corner, we've got the religious dudes. In the blue corner, we've got the pagan lady. No, no, no. I had so much more. (laughs) Yeah, good thing I don't have to leave early. That was really clever. Um, Let's see. now the officials are ready now the officials are ready the fighters are in the ring and they are ready so for the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world ladies and gentlemen uh, let's get ready to rumble there round one the pharisees and the scribes round two okay i've worked really hard on this at 405 this morning so with that let's start with round one the scribes and the pharisees or the pharisees and the scribes matthew flips those uh, this time around so let's get started then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the traditions of the elders? They don't wash their hands when they eat. Now, Pharisees and scribes, let's remind ourselves who they are. The Pharisees were a religious group that pledged their lives to strictly following the law of the Torah. The Jewish law they arose during the time between the Old Testament and the New Testament you don't read about them in the Old Testament they arose as a responsive group to the Jewish nation that was being decimated and it was being decimated because it wasn't following the laws of Moses And so they said, we will follow those laws and we will do so devotedly. Not just the written laws, but the oral laws as well. And so the the Pharisees were people who were almost singularly focused on obedience to the law. Scribes were the people who wrote the law. They were the writers. They were the scribners. And they would make copies. You wanted to get a copy of of the Shema to put on your door. What you were supposed to do, you had to buy it from a scribe. They would write the Shema in little bitty scrolls that would get rolled up and get put on your door. You wanted something on your 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 wall. You wanted something on your... your, These were the people who were writing the text. And most of the scribes were actually Pharisees. They were the devoted ones who cared about the law. So the Pharisees and the scribes... Look at what happens next. They came to Jesus from Jerusalem. Now Jesus is in Galilee. And that's up north of Jerusalem. And Janet Seaford always likes it if I put a map in class. She says if there's a map, class is automatically better than it would have been. So this is a map. And if we look at this as a map of Israel, Jerusalem is down here. Just northwest of the Dead Sea. You've got Samaria in the middle here. And then up there you've got Galilee. And that's Lake Knesseret or the Sea of Galilee. And Galilee was that region around there. Now these Pharisees and scribes came up from Jerusalem to Galilee. That's not like I think I'll get in my car and drive to Lupe Tortilla for lunch. That is basically 7 to 80 miles walk. It's 80 if you go around Samaria, which I really would bet money the Pharisees and the scribes did lest they come into contact with a pagan Samaritan. 70 to 80 miles each way. Now how good is your walking? I'm putting that at four days of hard work. That's 20 miles a day. Now I can walk 20 yards. (laughs) I can walk. I mean if I'm going to walk 2 miles at a pretty good pace. It's going to take me 35 minutes. If I'm going to walk 20 miles that's Three hundred. that's six hours of hard walking and travel then wasn't as easy as it is now as you're walking you couldn't drive through the Whataburger you couldn't just go by the ATM machine most of the people along the way did not take American Express And that means that you're in a danger zone because anybody who's traveling, by definition, to robbers and thieves, you've got to know they're carrying their own money or whatever it might be that they use to barter for a place to stay at the night, for food to get, all to say, not an easy thing to do. And yet these fellows come up to Jesus from Jerusalem. And they do so to find out what this rabbi is teaching his students. Because they've heard things. And they want to know if the students who are living in violation of what they perceived the code of behavior to be. Are doing so because their teacher, rabbi, has either taught them to. Or has just poo-pooed their mistakes and passed over it. So they come and they say, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? Because they don't wash their hands when they eat. Now, the traditions of the elders... That's something that's superimposed upon the law as interpretation. And the rabbinical Jews were really good at doing that. Let me give you an example. Uh, If we were to open up the Torah scroll of Exodus and roll it to Exodus 16, 29, we would read... This, and very few of us would make sense of it until we realized that it had English down below it. (laughs) See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain, each of you, in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. Now, that law was given in reference to not just Shabbat, but specifically gathering manna. Remember when the Israelites are in the wilderness, God rains manna down for them to eat, and each day they'd go out and collect the manna and take it home and make manna bread, and make uh, you know manna cotti, and make all of the manna dishes they could. But God said, "On." The Sabbath, you're not supposed to go out and gather manna. So on Saturday, I mean on Friday, the day before the Sabbath, gather two days worth. On the sixth day, get two days worth and then nobody leaves on the seventh. Now, that was the law. But if you read the Mishnah, which is a collection of commentary of sorts on the law, interpretations, there's an entire tractate set on how to practice for Shabbat, how to do the Shabbos, the the Sabbath treatment. And in that, this passage is talked about at great length. You're not supposed to go out of your house. So what if there's a street person and you want to give them some bread? Well, it's Sabbath. You cannot take the loaf of bread and stick it outside the door. Even if you stay in because your hand just left the house. You're a lawbreaker. The person can't stick their hand into the house And pick up the loaf of bread and pull it out. Because if they do, by picking it up in the house, they've done some work there that then they've left the house. Pulling it back out. What are you going to do? There's this elaborate explanation. The beggar has to stick their hand in the doorway but not pick up the bread. And then you inside the house can put the bread in the beggar's hand such that the beggar hasn't picked it up on his or her own, and then they can pull their hand out. And, oh, look at that, there's bread in my hand. And you did not violate this commandment. Now, there are elaborate instructions like this throughout the understanding of the Torah at the time of Jesus. And so it's not unusual for Jesus to talk about what the traditions are and to be quizzed they do not wash their hands when they eat so the law provided that the priests were supposed to wash their hands to be ceremonially clean before they dealt with the food and the sacrifices that got extrapolated by the the traditions of the elders into what other good Jews should do as well Now, please understand, this is not washing hands because you don't want to get COVID. This is not washing hands because of a concern uh, uh, about hygiene. This was a ceremonial concern to show that you were ceremonially clean before you ate the food. And so it was one that was then extrapolated to the people and this is a commandment that Jesus' disciples were not keeping but but it's not a biblical commandment it's a tradition of the elders that have tried to interpret the biblical commandment does that make sense all right let's keep going well Jesus answered him and I love this whoops Jesus answered him he said Well, why do you break the commandment of God? For the sake of your tradition. Now, that's pretty bold. Jesus doesn't leave it there. He gives an example. He says, God commanded, honor your father and your mother. This was a command of God. Honor your father and your mother comes from Exodus 20.12. It's one of the Ten Commandments. It's not a tradition of the elders, it's a commandment of the Lord God Almighty. Honor your father and your mother. And another commandment from the next chapter 21:17, whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. Now those are two very clear commandments. And Jesus says, God commanded those, and then he says, But you say, and and Jesus contrasts the commandment of God with the comments and life of the people. You Pharisees and scribes say something contrary to God's command. He says, you say, if anyone tells his father or mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God. Then he doesn't have to honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you've made void the word of God. Let's explain this for a moment. There was a law of Corban that said you could dedicate things to God. And if you dedicate them to God... The only way you part with them is to give them to the temple. And to honor your parents isn't simply not to speak ill of them. Wesley, you need to remember this. When you honor your parents, when they're like old, that means you got to like take care of them. Yeah, that means like if they need money, you got to help them with money. If they need food, you got to help them with food. If they need whatever, you got to be responsible as you help them. You do not have the excuse of saying, Well, I'd give this to you, but I've dedicated it to God. Which is what the people were doing. So the people, instead of honoring their parents were dedicating things to God, which meant they didn't have to part with it to help mom or dad. Instead, they could hang on to it. I mean, part of honoring your parents is taking care of them in old age. And so Jesus wants to know why they were violating that commandment because of their Corban traditions and the way they interpreted them. And it's the scribe, Pharisees and scribes in, in, in this context against the will of God, the express command of God. Then Jesus says this, you hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, we'll look at that in a moment, but let's pause. You Hypocrites. The Greek word for hypocrites is hypocrites. (laughs) Hypokrites. The upsilon in Greek is often transformed into a Y. That inverted comma over the top means you breathe rough. Greek didn't have an H. They just had rough breathing. (sighs) Ha! So you go ha with an open mouth the shape of that let uh, of that inverted comma that's an open mouth ha so it's h y p o k which is a hard c in us c r i t long e s i mean if you're a scholastics you would write it in english as hypocrites If you were Greek, you would pronounce it as hypocrites, but it reads hypocrites, which is the way it's translated. The word finds its origination as the label of an actor in a play. See, hypocrites were actors in a play who spoke for effect, not for truth. I've had the, the, the privilege to represent uh, uh, in court before some people who make a living as actors. And it's really fascinating because you can know them by watching them on TV or in the movies. But then you get to know them on a personal level and you find out they're not the person they are on TV or in the movies. They're playing a role. They're saying things and they're being a character that is not who they truly are. And this is what Jesus is calling out on these people's behavior. They're hypocrites. They're play-acting. F.F. F. Bruce said, There are religious actors still. And they, typo there, they draw good houses. There are religious actors still, and they get quite a large audience. So Jesus says, you hypocrites. You play actors. Oh, by the way, side point, just for nerds Um, there is in certain theological circles debates over whether or not Jesus spoke Greek as well as Aramaic and Hebrew Uh, I think there's a whole lot of evidence he spoke Greek but this is one of the passages that indicates it because Jews wouldn't go to the theater there's not really a Jewish or Aramaic word for a hypocrite it's basically just the Greek word. or the You had a Latin word, but, but here it's Jesus is using a Greek expression. And he is up in Galilee, which is where you've got a lot of Greek people living. And that's where Jesus grew up applying his trade as a carpenter. So it makes sense that he would speak Greek as well. But he's grabbing a Greek word here. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said the people honors me this people honors me with their lips but their heart is far from me in vain do they worship me teaching as doctrines the commandments of men and Jesus draws this distinction between what the hypocrites are saying and what they're really thinking and who they really are. Jesus then says he calls the other people around him cuz don't you know the people were look put yourself back there for a minute. You're in Galilee. Galilee's the backwater. It's it's not like Lubbock, Texas. It's not the hub. It's more like Mule Texas. It's a backwater. And, and, and so you've got these people who are kind of thrilled because this Jesus miracle working Messiah is among them. And I mean, that's big time. <clears throat> and then these people These Pharisees, these big to do's, these Lord high muckety mucks, they come traipsing all the way from Jerusalem to put this Jesus guy to the test. I am sure that the people were all kind of, oh, this is going to be good. And they're watching, they don't want to get in the way. You don't climb in the ring between people who are slugging it out. To use my boxing analogy. And so they're watching it. And then after this confrontation between them. It's kind of like Jesus. Boom. Scores. And then Jesus calls the people and says come on a little closer. And he says to them. Here. And understand. In other words, Pharisees, you want to know what I'm teaching? Let me show you what I'm teaching. Hear and understand. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, it's what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. All right. That's the scene. Now there's a slight shift here with Matthew. And with the slight shift, Jesus is off to the side with his close buddies, his disciples. And that happens in verse 12. The disciples come and they say to Jesus, uh, do you realize that the Pharisees were offended when you said that? I mean, you're like, you're like uh, offended these people who are pretty important people. And I love this. First of all, it just reflects the cluelessness of the apostles as to who Jesus is. I mean, would you really go up to God and say, "Hey, God, you've kind of offended some of these hypocrites"? I think you may want to take back what you said or soften it a little bit. You might want to be a little concerned, God. You better watch your six because these guys could come get you. They, they're they're bless their hearts, clueless. Do you know they were offended? Now the reason they were offended is because the whole purpose that they came. The purpose of the Pharisees and the scribes coming was to provoke and accuse Jesus. This was hostile. They didn't go up there because they were bored for eight days. Hey, let's take a four day stroll, 20 miles a day with all of the dangers of travel And go up and see if we can find this Jesus guy up in the big expanse of Galilee. Because I'm sure we can call him on his phone when we get there. And he can send us a pin drop of where to find him. No, they go traipsing up there trusting they're going to find the guy. And they find him. this is all part of their plan. They're going to provoke, don't you know? They didn't just leave either. Honey, where are you going? I don't want to tell, but you'll read about it one day in the Gospel of Matthew. (laughs) No. They're packing. I'm going to be gone for a couple of weeks. Where are you going? Well, i got to go rein in some uh, rabbi who's out there teaching heresy. Where? Up in Galilee. You've probably heard about him. Uh, he's a carpenter who's decided he can teach the word of God. And so off they go. Well, Jesus isn't concerned about offending them. By the way, if we go back to that passage, the word for offend. Escandalization. Eskan, um, it is a long verb, um, probably from like scandalizomai or something, but it, it's, it's the same root as what Paul uses when he writes the Corinthians and says the cross of Christ is a stumbling block. It's an offense to the Jews. Jesus offends Jews from the cradle to the grave. You got some choices when it comes to Jesus. You can ignore him or you can pay attention. And if you pay attention, he's either going to offend you or you are going to follow him. And uh, yeah, he was offending them, but he wasn't concerned about that. So Jesus answered and said, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up just leave those guys alone they're blind guides and if the blind lead the blind they're both gonna fall into a pit let's don't worry that we've offended them if they just stay off to themselves and all they do is follow themselves their end is destruction if they want to take off their, uh, their, their, their bandages and they want to see who I am, then they've got a chance of walking in the way. And, and as for everybody else, they've got to decide who you're going to follow. You want to follow the blind folks or do you want to follow the one who is the light of the world? Do you want to follow the blind people or do you want to follow the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. That's the choice. So every plant that my heavenly father's not planted is going to be rooted up. Leave them alone. And that is round one. <coughs> round two. The Canaanite woman. Now, this is... Uh, By the way, there's an interlude of a couple of verses where Peter, on behalf of the apostles, says, hey, just explain this to us because we're not quite getting it. Jesus explains it. Then after that, we get to the second round. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Now, it's a twofer, Janet. Let's get the map back up here. Jerusalem is down here. Well, Galilee is where they are. Jerusalem's where these fellas came from. Okay? So they come from Jerusalem, and Jesus goes in the exact opposite direction. He goes into pagan land. He goes up to Tyre and Sidon. Jesus went the very opposite way of Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Now, that's not to say that there would not have been Jews up there. There would have been. There were Jews around the Mediterranean world. But it's not Judaic-controlled territory. So Jesus goes up there. And, and by the way, I think the readers of this that knew the area, knew the topography, knew that what is being set up here is a contrast, It's not just a contrast in content, but even in geography. So as Jesus goes opposite for this confrontation, the confrontation itself is as opposite as Tyre and Sidon are from Jerusalem. Now, behold, a Canaanite woman from that region comes out and is crying Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, my daughter severely oppressed by a demon. This word behold in the Greek, edu, is uh, one, if you were in here when I taught life group Greek, I taught a class on this word one time. When Matthew uses the word edu, it doesn't always get translated, but it's a focus word. It's a word like clapping your hands. It's a word like uh, Emeril Lagasse's, Bam! It's a word like, pay attention, like focus, right here, look, look. In fact, that's the Lubbock translation of edu. It's look it. Look it. So this is something he's emphasizing. Look it. A Canaanite woman from that region comes out and she's crying. Now, she's not, this is not the word for boo-hoo, crying. This is the word for she's just calling out she she's in, she's loud she's she's emotive I just saw Dr. Paige and Dorothy Patterson out there hi guys I love you too um they just did the nicest thing for my school but they don't like to brag about that kind of stuff so I won't say it publicly but I just really appreciate you guys um all right behold A Canaanite woman, and she's crying out, she's loud. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Do you see what this pagan woman calls him, Jesus? O Lord, son of David? She may be a pagan, but she's got pretty good theology. She recognizes who Jesus is. Now, as we walk through the response of Jesus, which is always difficult for commentators to write about, as we walk through it, you're going to see Jesus respond in a way that looks rather cold. Does it look like the warm, touchy feely Jesus we know and love? In fact, it's almost off-putting. And so a lot of commentators will go to great lengths to explain that Jesus should not be viewed as a callous individual because of what seems to be a callous response. I want to put it into a different light for you. I want to make a, a suggestion as I read through this. And this is not a popular suggestion. But I think it's biblical, and that's why I give it to you. I'm not trying to teach popular messaging. I'm trying to teach biblical messaging. I think that's my responsibility before the Lord and before you. I think that's what you want from me. So there are these peculiar passages in the Bible that we don't dwell on a lot, but you find them in places like Psalm 11.5. The Lord tests the righteous. The prophet will talk about how God refines us as refining silver. Do you know how silver's refined? is melted in a hot heat and so that all the gunk rises to the top and gets skimmed off and God says I will refine you as refining silver I will test you as testing of gold and you'll call upon my name and I will answer for then I will say this is my people and they in return shall say the Lord God he is my God And so shall it be. That all comes out of the testing. Jeremiah 20 verse 12. O Lord of hosts who tests the righteous. Who sees the heart and the mind. James the brother of Jesus says. You know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be complete. Perfect, lacking in nothing. God does test us to purify us, to build in us character, to make us who we need to be. And I think that's what's going on here. So this pagan Canaanite woman comes up to Jesus begging him. And Jesus doesn't answer her. She comes up, O oh Lord, son of David, have mercy. My daughter is beset by demons. And Jesus doesn't answer. Now, is Jesus uncaring, callous, cold? No, I think Jesus is testing. He's producing something within her. He's producing something within his disciples. He's teaching us the value of coming before him incessantly. And it's, oh, his disciples (laughs) come and and they beg him. They say, please, please, please send her away. She's just, she's she's following us. She keeps crying out. She's loud. She's obnoxious. I have a headache. They haven't invented Advil yet. You got to get rid of this woman. Please, she's driving us nuts And Jesus says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The testing of God, you see it in scripture all the time. Remember Genesis after the sin of Adam and Eve? God walks through the garden. Hey Adam, where are you? I mean, was God lost? Did all of a sudden he lose his omniscience? No, he's doing that for Adam's sake. He's testing Adam. He wants to see what Adam says. He wants Adam explaining it. He wants Adam understanding it. So Jesus says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Well, that's true, but that's not the issue here. She comes, she kneels before Jesus and says, Lord, help me. And Jesus replies he says it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to dogs and she says yes Lord but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table that was the testing to produce steadfastness to produce a memory To produce a a landing point. As Jesus compares this woman who comes to him in faith. And begging for mercy with the Pharisees and the scribes. Who come to Jesus to accuse him. And indict him. And trap him. And embarrass him. And humiliate him. And destroy his ministry. She is as persistent in seeking his mercy as they are persistent in walking 80 miles. She won't leave him alone. And then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. I wish I'd put in here that uh, passage out of the prophets. I will refine them as refining silver, I will test them as testing of gold. And they'll call upon my name, and then I will answer. And that's exactly what happens here. All right, so we got it, right? Round one, we have the scribes and the Pharisees. Round two, we have the Canaanite women. Let me finish with the lessons and then I've got to go. The lessons are simple. Why do I come to Jesus? I hope it's not in hypocrisy. I hope I come to Jesus seeking his mercy. I hope I come to Jesus not t- testing him but rather seeing him as the Lord, the son of David. I hope I bring him my problems. I hope I seek his mercy. And then when I look at myself, I ask myself after this lesson, how am I doing on hypocrisy? How am I doing on what's in here and what's in here compared to what comes out of here? How am I handling this life opportunity that God has given me today? What is coming out of my heart and mind? And how am I taking care of my heart and mind so that what comes out is something I'm excited about? I'm proud of in a humble sense. One of the hardest things, so I've got uh, my trial seminar coming up in June, the middle of June. Um, and in that, I'll have about 1,000 lawyers who will come for three days. I teach them how I try lawsuits. And I try really hard to share with them what I find effective. And one of the most difficult things to teach is Authenticity. Be who you are because juries smell out fake and fraud. So just be authentic. Be who you are. Tell the truth. And I had a guy come up to me one time and say, Okay, I'm hearing this. Be who you are. The problem is if the jury knew who I was, they would never vote for my, me. And I said, What do you mean? He says, I'm really a pretty terrible person. I said, You know, that's step one of the 12 steps that's a good start buddy now you got to realize you can't do anything about that on your own but let me tell you someone who can do that for you and with you if what's coming out of your heart and mind isn't what you want it to be then let's work on, on our heart and mind right if we're not speaking words of kindness let's become kinder people If we're not speaking words of encouragement, let's become encouraging people. If we're not speaking words of of Jesus, let's become Jesus' people. And then last, how am I handling God's tests? Am I doing it in anger and frustration, shaking my fist? Why me, God? Why do you want to make me better? Leave me alone. Well, no, you don't really want him to leave you alone. Do it the way I want. Well, really? Well, don't play these games. Just help. All right, we're getting better. But how am I handling God's tests? I want to stay on my knees. I want to keep beseeching him. But I'm also going to trust him to refine me and turn me into the person I need to be for him. That's my goal. All right, I got to go to the other campus and preach, but let me bless you in the name of Jesus, those being our points for home, Dale Hearn. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you, I beseech you, I cry to you, I beg of you. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, Son of David. Meet us where we are and help us through your tests and help us through this life purify our hearts purify our minds may we take seriously our discipleship before you forgive us our hypocrisy make us genuine and authentic as we stand in Christ alone and walk through this life that is our humble prayer through Jesus our Lord our Savior our Sanctifier our Redeemer Amen